0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rav Mike Foyer on Parashat BeShalach. What's your favorite spring holiday? Tu B'shvat, Purim, or Pesach? With the Pardes daily app, you can learn more about each in just 15 minutes a day. Download the app now. Select your track, Bible, Halacha, or Chassidut and you're ready to learn. Visit www.pardes.org.il forward slash Pardes Daily. And now, here's Rav Mike Foyer.
1: After 400 years, it's time to go. We're marching out of Egypt with heads held high in Parsha Beshalach, emptying the place out, not only of its workforce, but frankly of all its wealth. Moshe's going to be the last one out turn off the lights before he leaves, he's going to grab Joseph's bones to fulfill the last promise binding Am Yisrael to Egypt, and away we go. But of course, the process won't be so straightforward. Once Pharaoh recovers from the shock of the death of the firstborn, he's going to see his slave empire crumbling all around him. And what does a tyrant do when his exercise of power has led him to the brink of ruin? Why, double down, of course. I mean, not making any connections to the world in which we live. But I think it's pretty obvious that part of the story which is told today is a story about how power can blind. So here we are, 600 chariots in pursuit. Am Yisrael, out in the desert, wandering what seems to be a little bit lost. And I don't actually have to tell you what happens next. It's the ultimate act of biblical proportions. I mean, the splitting of the Red Sea isn't just a Cecil B. DeMille style cinematographic, you know, uh, moment par excellence. It's actually a divide across which the world must pass from one end to the other, and on the other side there'll be the song of the sea, that highest prayer of praise which the Torah oftens, and which frankly one can really imagine. I strongly recommend taking the time to say it slowly every morning in your prayers. But between the splitting of the Red Sea and the Song of the Sea, lies a very important lesson. The Lord delivered Israel on that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore of the sea. And Israel saw the great hand of the Lord, which he wielded against the Egyptians, the yiru, right? that they, people feared God, and they believed in, or they had faith, they had emuna in God and in Moshe, God's servant. And I want to take some time to understand a little bit the significance of these two seemingly simple lines which are poised right between the splitting of the Red Sea and the song, between that act of biblical proportions and the shift of consciousness which, in certain ways, actually leads us along the path to wait for a redemption which is yet to come. And in order to understand these lines, we've got to take a look at the connection between Yira and yir'eh, between the fear which Am Yisrael faced at the Red Sea, and what it was that they saw which evoked it. What is the connection between seeing and fear, and what can it teach us about Emunah? Now, if I were going to abstract just a little bit, I might phrase the question this way. What's the connection between our experience, meaning what we see, the the impact it has on our long-term awareness, how we see the world, and the actions and decisions we make as we shape our world going forward, which I'll call imuna. Now, first things first, it's true that I said fear, but Yirah could just as easily be translated as awe. In a sense, these two verses stand between the two possible meanings of the word. I mean, looking back at the angry Egyptians and forward to the sea is surely the most fearful moment I can imagine. No wonder much of Bnei Israel thought it was better to go back to slavery or simply to lay down and die. I mean, weren't there graves in Egypt, Moses, that we could have just died there? And what could be more awesome than standing on the far side of Yamsu, of the splitting of the Red Sea? So really, fear on one side, awe on the other. And the question of of Gira and Yira, of this fear and seeing, begins on the side of fear, on the far side of the sea, before Israel crossover. Now, if you take a look at the 14th chapter of Exodus, Shmot, lines 10 through 13, you'll see that this actually begins, like I said, before Am Yisrael ever gets to the sea. It says, The draws near. And Am Yisrael, children of Israel, lifted up their eyes. And they saw the Egyptians coming on them. And it says, the oh, They were greatly afraid. So right away, we have a seeing and we have fear. And they call out, right? And then they do this whole, uh, because there were no graves in Egypt. The, it's I just have to say, it's the first appearance of truly Jewish humor. What? Because there were no graves in Egypt. You had to bring us out here to die. No, seriously. So they lift up their eyes and they're afraid. And then Moshe says to him, Don't be afraid, which is a pretty uh, bold statement to make. No, rather, stand here and look and see at Yeshua Tashem. Don't see the Egyptians. See God's salvation, which is about to be done for you today. Because as you see Egypt today, you will not see them such ever again. And just for a bit of a little little bit of methodological thought. Anytime you see a word more than once in a verse, and certainly three times, like we see it here, right? otam. Uh, you have to explain to me why this word actually unlocks a deeper meaning of the passage. So in this case, at first glance, pun intended, there's no question about the connection between yir-a and between fear and searing no matter which way they looked what ben israel saw scared the pants off of them but if we take a closer examination of the last line in this section it begins to open up a different type of relationship between Yirah and Yir'eh, and can start to teach us a little bit about emuna right cuz moshe said ki ashera ayom lo rotom od ad olam and on the surface, the meaning of the verse is quite obvious. You'll never see these Egyptians again. Why? Because not one of them is going to survive. But if we open up the Ramban, Nahmanis, he brings us a slightly deeper explanation. He says, He says in the, in the name of our sages, Remember, the Ramban is quoting the Mechilta, a Midrash, Halacha from the sages, which is saying that we root in this verse a positive commandment, meaning you should never go back to Egypt. And that commandment, according to the sages, has a few roots in the Torah, and this is one of them. in Cain says the Ramban. If that was the case, the Ramban is not so certain that he agrees, then it should have said. It should have said, The Ramban is not so sure this is a mitzvah. He thinks it's a promise like the simple reading. Because he said, it should have said, Don't be afraid. Stand in your place. Right? And see this salvation which God is bringing to you. Who is going to save you today out of the hands of Egypt. And don't go back to their servitude. Because the Egypt you see today, you, you won't see them again of your own free will. And he goes on to point out that there's a similar dynamic in the verse in Devarim where he actually locates the mitzvah itself. Now, what's important for me, though, is that word, The Ramban is opening up a few things. First of all, whether he agrees or not, He's pointing out to us that the sages learn a mitzvah here. There's a mitzvah for generations. We don't go back to Egypt, right? Even if there's something that you want there, as he points out from Devarim, say horses for the king, which is the context there, you can seek it elsewhere because the Egypt you now know, the Egypt you now fear is about to be no more. So much so that from here forward, They should no longer be within your horizon of consideration. And that's what I see to be the nuance the Ramban is pulling out from here. It's not a commandment, because he has his textual reasons for believing that the commandment is actually rooted in Devarim. Nonetheless, he can't completely contradict what the Milhilta has to say. And so he's pointing out that really, what lies between the commandment, thou shalt not go back, and the promise, you'll never see them again, is the fact that you shouldn't want to see them again that in a certain sense what we're learning from this verse is moshe says stand still take one last look because the egypt you see today is going to no longer be within your horizon of consideration and with that i can give a first round answer to my question about what the connection is between what b'nei israel saw on this side of the sea its impact on their long-term awareness, meaning the horizon of consideration with which they walk forward in the world, and their emunah. Well, having seen Egypt as the ultimate pursuer just this last time, what the Ramban is telling us, at least in the name of the sages, is that they should never even consider Egypt again. They are outside of the boundaries. And the act of emunah, this believing in God and Moshe God's servant, that act of unna, which will build a world out of the observation of seeing them, and the conclusion we've drawn, which that they're now outside our horizon of consideration, is the adherence to a mitzvah. You shall not go there again. And beyond the technical act of not going to Egypt, it means that whatever lies ahead for Israel, having seen Egypt one last time, their future lies outside of it, both physically and conceptually. And this brings us nicely to what Israel saw on the other side of the sea, after the Egyptians had drowned. You know, in a sense, if we look at it carefully, we could see the walk through Yam Tzu, through the Red Sea, as a journey through fear itself, beginning in terror, and coming out awestruck on the other side. And what the two share, awe and fear, is their root in exposure to a new horizon. I want you to picture hanging from a cliff 2,000 feet in the air. It's something I've had the privilege to do, having been a passionate climber at a different time of my life. And I want to tell you that that's super scary and it's awesome. The difference between awe and fear, both of which are rooted in an exposure as I said, to a new and larger horizon, is whether one cowers in fear or stands awestruck in the face of this new world. And that's the shift which we see in these verses. God saved Israel on that day from the hands of Egypt. And they saw Egypt dead on the edge of the sea. No longer seeing them as a pursuer, but seeing their corpses washed up on the shores. This is the proof, by the way, that, that Moshe, was, Moshe wasn't being literal when he said you'll never see them again, because here they are. You'll just never see them as a power, which is the root of that mitzvah. You'll never see them as a source of strength. For the needs that you want to meet within the world. And then, So you can compare this seeing of Egypt, Met al swatayam, dead on the edge of the sea, and the new type of Yira which arises from it, more awe than fear. Compare that just on a simple emotional level with the fear that Israel felt when they saw the Egyptians in hot pursuit. On that side, the Egyptians were in suit, and we were afraid. On this side, we see them dead and we stand in awe. But that awe is more than just the joy of having been freed from slavery. Because we saw more than the dead Egyptians there on the other side of the Red Sea. We saw the great hand of God. Now, we could do a deep dive into why exactly now are we saying that the great hand of God was exposed at the Red Sea. If you're familiar with the Passover Haggadah, there's a somewhat strange section of heaping numbers upon numbers of miracles which happened at the sea. Maybe come Pesach, we'll dive into it. But for now, I'll offer you this. Despite the fact that the ten plagues were quite impressive, culminating in the plague of the firstborn and that Am Yisrael has been following a pillar of cloud by day and smoke by night, and let's not forget in a less than two months, we'll be standing at the foot of Sinai, here at the sea, is when they see this great hand of Hashem. Right? Why? Because this is the place in which they've been freed from their inner oppressor. Egypt isn't just the physical taskmasters that beat, it, that beat Am Yisrael. Egypt is their very idea of freedom. This is something that we learn from the great Brazilian educator Paulo Freire, who teaches that the oppressed live a dual existence. They live the experience of their oppression and a longing for freedom. But because our oppression narrows our vision, our only conception of freedom is that of the oppressor. Therefore, as he points out throughout history, peoples who have gained their freedom have so often recreated the systems of oppression under which they suffered only with them holding the whip as opposed to receiving it. But here at the edge of the sea, God has gone much further in our freedom. He's caused us to see that the oppressor whom we've eternalized This idea that the opposite of slavery is to be the taskmaster is indeed dead. They're there on the edge of the sea. And that there's an awesome new horizon of freedom into which we've stepped. That's a story that we'll pursue when we speak about what it is to really stand at Sinai. But for now, for our local purpose, how does this new relationship between Yir'ah and Yir'eh, between seeing and awe, as opposed to seeing and fear, help us to understand another aspect of emuna. I mean we could say that the first aspect of emuna was la'emunah ba'shem of moshe there. They believed in moshe. That's why the Michilta says that there was a mitzvah in torah moshe don't go back to egypt. In your behavior and the actions you take in the wor- world you build, you will keep egypt outside of your horizon. But here, what's the change in their understanding in their faith in god? What is that connection? between the experience, the seeing of the Egypt dead on the sea, the impact it has on our long-term awareness, how we see the world going forward, and our Amunah, the actions and decisions we make as we shape our world going along. Well, in order to answer that, we'll look at one last source. And it's a somewhat strange midrash that Rashi brings on Exodus 14.22. The verse says, moshe Right? Moshe held out his hand, or his arm over the sea, right? and God drove back the sea with a strong east wind all night long. Right, And it turned the sea into dry, into dry ground. And then it seems there are two superfluous words, and the waters were split. I mean, I kind of knew that from the rest of the verse. So Rashi brings once again a Midrash from the Mechilta, which says a very simple thing. All the water in the world split in that moment. You know, I like to imagine some guy in Peru going to get into the bath at the end of a long day, and all of a sudden, whoop, it draws off to both sides, and he crashes into the ground. Or, I don't know, someone in China looking to get a drink from the well, and shoop, the water goes to either side of his head. It's very strange. What does it mean that when Am Yisrael went through the sea, when God split the Red Sea, all the waters in the world split. Well, I'll tell you in light of what it is we're learning. Is that once the sea split, such a thing became possible. It moved within the horizon of the possible. And even if I've never seen it myself, even if I never see it again, if I was there with Ben Israel at the sea, I know now that the world is a much larger place, that God indeed acts within history and that the laws of nature, as rigid as they may seem, will flex themselves in fear before the divine. This is not simply a shift in perspective. It's a foundation of emunah, that we live within a world where the things we see can change the way we know the world, and that causes us to walk a very different path in a world in which the seas indeed can split again. And so I want to bless us all here at the end that we should merit to see miracles and that what we see should change the way we know the world and the way we know the world should change the way we act because our actions are, of course, what our faith is really made of. And let us merit to see a world in which that faith be restored and fulfilled speedily in our day. Shabbat Shalom.
0: Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts today. You can also subscribe to any of our other podcast channels by visiting us on Spotify or online at almod.pardes.org. Tune in next week to listen to Judy Klitzner as she discusses Parashat Ichwa. Thanks for listening.